today and trust the Lord to give us good weather. Uh, now, as you heard this morning, those of you who were in the morning service, you'll know that these tickets are not for you. Uh, our church family doesn't need a ticket to get in. We know who you are, so you're more than welcome uh, on the property anytime that we're meeting. Um, and really, everyone is, is welcome at all times, but um, we obviously, for an event like this, we don't want to just throw it wide open because you just never know uh, who's going to come and the things that they might bring onto our property, and so we want this to be an event that is invite only. And so what we'd like for you to do is we'd like for you to take these tickets and give them uh, to friends, folks maybe that you're praying for, trying to reach uh, with the gospel. It is a free event. It doesn't cost anything. Um, but, but we do, again, want to try to utilize these tickets for our guests. On that night, everyone will need to park across the street down American Road. And, of course, there's a bunch of parking lots back there. We'll have shuttle buses running back and forth. And, obviously, those of you that are senior saints uh, we'll have uh, parking for you here on property on the grass uh, to the north of the uh, church uh, there in between the, the house, uh, one of the houses that we own there in the school. And, uh, and so we try to make that as convenient as possible. You will need to bring a, uh, a chair of some sort, a lawn chair, something along those lines, and you're more than welcome to bring uh, food if you'd like to and uh, obviously some, uh, some, some drinks, that sort of thing. Um, I will tell you that we will not begin that night at 6. We don't start that night until 8 o'clock p.m., and uh, that's, of course, because obviously we need to uh, wait until it's dark enough to shoot off the fireworks. But it'll be a great show. Many of you have been participating in that. On that night, we'll have an opportunity to share a brief message of the gospel. And, uh, and so it is not unusual for us to have, I mean, hundreds of guests with us that night. And for all of them, uh, Lord willing, uh, to hear the gospel. And, uh, and so that's really what this is all about. And so if, you, uh, if one ticket for you is not sufficient, there should be additional tickets. Brother John, are they at the Welcome Center and on the ledge, they're all over the place. And if we need to get more, we can print more. Uh, but again, if you'll help us uh, with that, that would be a blessing. Uh, our young people leave for camp tomorrow morning. They're leaving at, um, I'm not sure what time they're leaving. They need to be here at 645. And let's pray for a great week for them, if you would. Brother Al Stone will be preaching uh, to our uh, teens there at Camp Kobiak in Michigan. And to pray for safety as they travel, of course. And, and, uh, and then, of course, for the Lord to speak to hearts and lies. Brother Ron Jackson's here tonight. Brother Ron leaves on Tuesday for another trip to Ukraine, and the uh, Lord has opened so many doors for him over there, and uh, many of you are involved uh, through obviously your prayers, and then also through your giving, and uh, many of you, the Lord has touched your heart to be involved in that in some way, and uh, we're certainly thankful for that. There's always opportunities. The need is, is great. In fact, the need is greater, I suppose, than any uh, anything that we could do in a, in, a, in a given moment, there's always something on the horizon that needs to be done uh, there in Ukraine among the soldiers and certainly getting the gospel out. And so we want to say thank you, uh, Brother Ron, for going and for ministering. Pray for his wife and his daughter as they stay behind and share with me this morning. This will be a, between a four and six week trip. And so it'll be a while before we see him again. And I know many of you want to say uh, goodbye to him tonight before, uh, before he heads out. Now, we're in Acts chapter number two, and we, of course, as a church family, have been emphasizing the ministry of the Holy Spirit this year. And, uh, of course, uh, you'll see our theme comes from Zechariah chapter number four and verse number six, and uh, we'll say maybe more about that here in just a moment, but uh, we're understanding this year, uh, as if we, we maybe always maybe knew this to be true, at least uh, as far as we knew it, the book side of things, but we're trying to to, to be experiential with it and understanding that we can do nothing, we can do nothing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And really that's what we're trying to emphasize. And I believe, by the way, I believe God is rewarding that. I believe that. I, I believe we've seen some growth this year and, 
And it may not be evident as you look around tonight. We've got a lot of folks that are out tonight. But uh, I'm thankful for what the Lord is doing and new folks that God's bringing into our church and souls that are being saved. And uh, understand, listen, understand that that's not, that's not the result of the pastor preaching better messages. That's not the result of the people being friendlier. That's not the result of, you know, printing better material and perhaps ad- allocating our advertising dollars a little bit better. Listen, that's the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Only God, only God can build a church. Only God can do that. I want you to look with me, if you would, in Acts chapter number 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 4. And I don't know if we're going to get through all of it tonight, but we'd like to preach through a good portion of this chapter. The Bible says in verse number 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, you may wish to mark the phrase found in verse number 4. Where the Bible says, filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Ghost. That will be the title of the message tonight, and I want us to, to explore really Acts chapter number 2, where we discover for the first time the Holy Ghost coming upon a group of people and indwelling them, inhabiting their bodies, and filling them for the purpose of spreading or proclaiming the gospel. The events recorded for us here in Acts chapter number 2 form some of the most important moments in the history of the world. And I don't want to go on record to say that's, that's one of the most, what we find in Acts 2 is, is one of the most important days in the history of the world, whether we're looking at world history in a secular setting or whether we're looking at world history in a Christian setting. Now you may, you may sit here and say, now wait a minute, I, I went kindergarten all the way through 12th grade and never in my public school did they sit down and teach us about the day of Pentecost and what took place there. And I understand that, but it doesn't negate and it doesn't erase and it doesn't diminish the significance of what took place on this particular day. In fact, what we enjoy today as a Christian culture, when we think about, you know, Christianity as, as a whole, we think about, again, churches and, and, uh, and, and, and the work of God that's going on, and we think about uh, a Bible to read and a, a, a pastor to serve as a shepherd, and we think about the Holy Spirit's indwelling. Listen, all of it, all of it began right here. And we might, we might take some of these things for granted, but understand there were times throughout history where people had to go through life without the things that we find in our lives on a regular basis. They didn't have a, they didn't have a Bible that they could just freely open and read. And they didn't, have, they didn't have a church that they could worship in on any given Sunday or perhaps even on a Wednesday midweek or gather for a special revival meeting or for a conference. Those things didn't exist. They didn't have a pastor that was there to, uh, to shepherd them and to love them through their good moments and through uh, their bad moments. Man has not always enjoyed the blessings that we enjoy today. And I have to tell you that in church history, few days can rival the day of Pentecost. Now, when I make a statement like that, most of the time our mind goes automatically to the numbers that are recorded for us here in Acts chapter number 2. And we would admit, you're right, very few churches have ever experienced a day in which they had a a growth spurt of 3,000 new people come into the church 
on a single day. But I want you to know something. When we, when we talk about rivaling the day of Pentecost, I'm speaking of something so much more than just the numbers. Because the numbers uh, represent the decisions that were made on this day. But listen, those were only the product of something so much more significant that happened on this particular day. Peter began to preach around 9 o'clock a.m. according to Scripture. But earlier that morning, something very, very significant took place. That being the promise of the Father, according to Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 4, was fulfilled with the Holy Ghost of God coming upon the 120 believers there that were gathered in early in Acts chapter number 2 and filling them. Now our theme this year is focused on the importance of the Holy Ghost in our lives. We've looked at God's message to the Old Testament Jews who had returned to Jerusalem and, and they looked at the project in front of them of rebuilding the temple and in their minds that, uh, that project was so intimidating. Uh, that, that job that was in front of them was so massive uh, that they looked at it and they delayed time and time again because they believed there's no way that we can possibly rebuild that building. Yet God told them that they needed to rebuild it in Zechariah chapter number 1. And then he told them how they would be able to rebuild it. And it didn't have anything to do with their own strength and their own might. It didn't have anything to do with better tools that were available to them then that were, than were available to them in Solomon's day when the building was built. And it didn't have anything to do with raising more money so that they would have the resources necessary to buy the materials to finish the temple. And it didn't have anything to do with maybe a, a better architect that would sit there and would draw up the plans based upon the truths that are found in Scripture. No, no. Listen, God said, you're not going to build it in your own strength and your own might, but you will rebuild it by my spirit. The only way that this massive building would be constructed by this remnant was if they would rely on the spirit of God. Can I say that in a similar sense, the New Testament disciples on the day that we are reading of, in many respects, the New Testament disciples, they looked at the task in front of them. It wasn't the task of building a physical building, a massive edifice on the Temple Mount, but, but in reality, understand God is always building something. In the Old Testament, he was building a, a building, he was building a nation, he was building a, a group of people that uh, were, were supposed to proclaim his glory throughout the entire world. But in the New Testament, we discover that God is also building something as well. He's building a church, he's building homes and families, he's building lives of people, he's building a kingdom down here on this earth. So understand that God is always building a work in this world. And understand that God uses his people as his construction crew. That, that's what we are. Now you, may, you may have never worn a hard hat in your life. You may have never worn a tool belt in your life. You may be a lot like me. I don't find myself wearing those types of things very often. But that doesn't mean that you're not in the construction trade. Spiritually, of course, we're talking about. And can I say the only way, the only way that this building that God is trying to build in this day and age can be built is as God's people rely on the Holy Spirit for wisdom, for direction, for resources, and for power. That's how it's done. So why is Acts 2 so important? Well, because of in Acts chapter number 2, the work of the church was empowered on this day. 
Everything that we see in the church, listen, that is good today. Everything that we see that is good today is because of the Holy Ghost. And it all, listen, all of it gives evidence that he is real and that he is at work in the lives of people. Now, don't you think for just a moment that there were some who sat back. In fact, the Bible tells us about it. A group of people that gathered and they said, you know, um, let's, let's leave these guys alone. There was a group of, of people that were led by some man. He, had, he started a movement and a bunch of people got caught up in this movement, but it fizzled out and, and we, can, we can remember another. Don't you suppose there were some that were looking at the apostles and they were looking at this fledgling little group of 120 people and they thought, well, they're having their day yeah, they've got 3,000 new people that have joined up with them, but give it some time. It'll all fade away at some point. And I'd love, I'd love to see the look on their faces today. As the, listen, the work of the church has, literally has advanced in a global sense. Now, we've, we've not arrived in any way, shape, or form. We got a long, long ways to go. But don't you think there were some people who thought, give it a few years. Give it a, this, oh, this, this act will wear thin This thing will fizzle out. It'll fade in time. And yet, listen, because it's the work of God and because the Holy Spirit of God empowered it, here we are, listen, here we are 2,000 years later and every church that is established on planet Earth that preaches the gospel gives evidence to the reality of the power of the Holy Ghost. And every, listen, every educational institution, whether it be a Christian day school or maybe a Christian preschool or perhaps maybe it be a, a Bible college or a seminary or a Bible institute, but every place where people are sitting and they're learning the Bible and they're being taught because a church, because a group of Christians decided we're going to throw ourselves into educating. Listen, every single school like that gives evidence to the reality of the power of the Holy Ghost. And how about, how about hospitals and, and, uh, and, and physicians groups that travel around the world and, and, and perhaps they, uh, they minister to people's physical needs so they have an opportunity to minister to their spiritual needs. Some of you have been involved in work like that. And can I say that every one of those that exists in our world today give evidence of the reality of the power of the Holy Ghost. Listen, and it all began right here in Acts chapter number 2. And the Holy Spirit of God empowered the New Testament church. Now, how does one experience, and I want to consider, how does one experience the filling of the Holy Ghost? I assume you're a believer. I assume you desire that. I assume you long for that. And that's the heartbeat of your, of your heart and of your life, is to know the Holy Spirit of God and to be filled by the Holy Spirit of God. How does one, how does one experience that filling? Well, how does one know that they've been filled? And what is accomplished when the Holy Ghost fills an individual? When the Holy Ghost of God fills a group of people like are assembled here tonight on this particular Sunday night? I'm, with God's help, going to try to answer some of these questions by examining what took place on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2. So number one, I want us to consider, as we look at this passage of Scripture as a template For how to be filled with the Holy Ghost, I think it's important for us to first take note of the fact that the Holy Ghost filled people, he filled people who prioritized unity. The Holy Ghost of God filled people who prioritized unity. Now, of course, we're we're, we're skipping over a step here, and I understand that, and I hope you'll, you'll, you'll permit me that opportunity. Allow me just to make reference to it. The Holy Ghost of God will never fill anyone who's not saved. 
So we understand we're taking for granted that the 120 in this room that are identified to us here in verse number one are born-again believers. They're Christians. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. They've repented of their sin. They've looked to the Lord, and they believed on his name. So what else is necessary? We know that you, first of all, you must be saved in order to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But what else is necessary? Well, notice, number one, the Holy Ghost filled people who prioritize unity. Now, you must know, you must know as you study the Scriptures that God himself prioritizes unity. The Bible tells us in Psalm 133 in verse number one, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, every, every parent that is raising school-aged children in the room tonight would shout a good hearty amen to that verse. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I had two brothers. I had an older brother and a younger brother. And there were days in which we absolutely hated each other. I mean, I'm just being real frank with you here tonight. And I can remember my parents, my parents just wringing their necks because they really wanted to wring ours, but they knew that that would have been not a good thing for them. And just, what are we going to do? I mean, these kids are constantly at each other. They're constantly bickering and fighting and warring with one another. Now, here's the crazy thing. When we get together today, we're best of friends. Now, how does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It, it happens because of something known as maturity. Uh, you, as you get older and, and, and you get a little bit wiser and, and you live lives apart from one another, you begin to value the time that you have with one another. But every parent that reads a verse like that probably wants to put it in a really, really prominent place in their home so that their kids can read it regularly, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. But I have to tell you, that, that's not talking necessarily about the home. That's, that's talking about a group of people like you and me and how pleasant and how good it is. Listen, when you and I, when you and I can experience unity down here on this earth, listen to what the Bible says in Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation or your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast, notice, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now in a group this size, Almost every year, we, or at least every few years, we have something in our country known as an election. And you know, during election season, it's, it's hard to get a group of this, of this many people together and for all of us to settle and decide, yeah, we're all for this particular candidate. And by the way, by the way, our unity does not have to be over a political candidate. But we do need to be unified. Listen, not for a specific party and not for a specific candidate. No, we need to strive together. We need to be unified for the faith of the gospel. That's where our unity needs to be. You, you, can, uh, you, you can like this thing or that thing. You can, uh, you can be a, a fan of this kind of food or of this restaurant or of that, that political candidate or that sports team or whatever the case might be. That really doesn't matter. We can, we, can still, we can still have unity even though we don't root for the same teams. We can still have unity even though we may not, even though we may not always agree on political candidate. But listen, we cannot have the unity that God wants us to have unless we center it on the faith of the gospel. That's what it's all about. Now listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 2. Fulfill ye my joy. This is Paul writing, but really this is the Holy Spirit of God speaking. And he says, here's how you can make me happy. You want to make God happy? You want to fulfill the joy of the Holy Ghost? Well, here's how you can do it. It's, it's found right there on the screen. That ye be like-minded. 
having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. It is evident, it is evident in our text that if we are to experience the Holy Ghost filling, we must prioritize God's will for unity. Now when was the last time you actually thought, you actually thought about how I can, how I can bend my will not to the will of the person sitting across the aisle from me, but how can I bend my will to the will of my Heavenly Father? When was the last time we thought about that? When was the last time when you got your feathers ruffled about something? And we all, we all have those moments. When was the last time you consciously sat down and, and thought to yourself, no, had a little conversation with you. You know we all need to have a conversation with ourselves from time to time, don't we? You need to maybe talk to yourself just a little bit. I don't get so upset about that. It's really not that big of a deal. That's really, not a, that's really not a biblical thing for us to divide over. When was the, when was the, when was the last time we, we, we thought that way? Listen, don't, 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 we want, don't we want to fulfill God's joy? We want to be like-minded? If that's the case, listen, we're going to have to prioritize unity. Now, I want you to notice as we dive into this early part of the book of Acts, we discover, first of all, there were some hindrances to unity. There were some hindrances to unity, and I want you to notice them with me. We actually have to look back in chapter number one to discover these hindrances to unity, but they're there. Notice with me, in chapter number one, we discover that, that the devil, listen, is always working to keep us from experiencing unity. He's always, he's always working in that way. After Christ ascended, there were 11 apostles that were left because Judas Iscariot, of course, had betrayed the Lord and then he had went out and hanged himself, the Bible tells us. So you have 11 apostles and along with the 11, there were 109 others who were left to carry on the work of the gospel and of the local church in this day and age. Would you look in verse number 15? The Bible says, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, notice the number of names together were about 120. So you have an 11 apostles and then about 109 others that made up, that made up this local church that Jesus Christ established during his earthly ministry. And among the 11, there were, there were three who had been a part of Christ's inner circle of disciples. So I'm trying to help you understand. You have 120 but, but really in the 120, there's actually 11 that were, were, were much closer to the Lord than, than even the 109 were. And then when you consider the 11, the Bible seems to indicate that there were, there were three that were, that were even much closer than the other eight were. And, and so you see sort of a, a model or a template for leadership and, and certainly for ministry where you have a large group and then you have a smaller group within that large group that's sort of going to be your core. And, and then even within that, maybe we might call that our, our leadership team. You've got... Jesus had three, Peter, James, and John, that fit that, fit that bill. And, and, uh, and, and so we, uh, we, we saw glimpses of, uh, of, of, this, you know, of this idea of you know, sort of vying for position and, and, and for power in, 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 the, in the Gospels. Um, uh, do you remember James and John? Do you remember their mother came to Jesus? And she said, Lord, she said, I, I want you to grant me a request. The Lord said, well, what is that? What is that request that you want me to grant? And she said, I, I wish that when you come into your kingdom, my one son would sit on your left hand and my other son would sit on your right hand. Now, I don't know, mom, I don't know the mom, a mom in the world that wouldn't take up that kind of position for her sons, for her boys, for her children. Every mom, every, and rightly so, every mom thinks that their, their kid is the greatest thing there ever was. But you remember, you remember the reaction to that? 
Do you remember the disciples began to bicker and sort of war among themselves? I don't know who do these guys think they are. And, and uh, you know, I, I think when he comes into his kingdom, I'm going to sit on his right hand. And, and uh, Peter's probably sitting there saying, my brother Andrew, he's going to sit on his left hand. And, and uh, we're, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, uh, and, and, and we, discover, we discover that Christ, of course, addressed all of that. But by the time we come to Acts chapter number 2, I want you to notice there is no evidence of that sort of thing whatsoever. Now think about that for a moment. I mean, we've got, we've, we've, got, we've, got a, we've got 120, and then within that 120, we have 11, and then within that 11, we have three, and you know what we discover? We discover here in Acts chapter 1 that within that three, we find one who stands up to lead. So we consider hindrances to unity. Number one, I think we must consider the first hindrance to unity, the greatest, perhaps, hindrance to unity is pride. Pride. In verse number 15, the Bible says, In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said. Now, it's obvious that Peter, if you study Scripture, Peter picks up Christ's mantle of leadership in Acts chapter number 2. Now, I'm not advocating for the fact that Peter is some sort of first pope. I'm not saying that at all. But there is no mistaking that there is evidence that Peter takes the lead in the early church as far as leadership is concerned. There's there's no doubt about that whatsoever. Peter stands here on this day, and he leads the local church to vote on who will be the next apostle. Peter will stand on the day of Pentecost, and he will preach the message. And really, Peter is woven throughout the first seven or eight chapters of the book of Acts before the focus really comes to uh, comes the apostle Paul and the missionary work that he begins. But we discover here that, uh, that, that Peter becomes the, the, the leader, really, of the whole group. And I have to tell you that this is a critical moment. This is a critical moment for unity because what if John, what if John thinks that this position should belong to him? Well, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. I was there too. Hey, I, I was part of Christ's inner circle. I saw some things the others decided. Well, what makes, what makes Peter think that he, that he should be the leader? And, and what if, what if James, uh, took on a similar attitude or a similar mindset? Or what if even one of the other disciples, you know, thought, well, you know, you guys had your time when Jesus was here on this earth and he made you part of this inner circle, but now it's my turn to lead and it's our turn to kind of steer things in the direction that we want it to go. And I just have to tell you, listen, if those things would have happened, I don't know. I don't know that we would have seen Acts chapter number two. Because listen, the Holy Ghost falls on people that are of one accord and of one mind and are in one place. That's the teaching that is clear in Scripture. And I just have to tell you that if there's pride that wells up in the midst of us, unity can be lost in a hurry. When those within the group begin to develop an attitude of pride that thinks that they should be leading or that thinks that they will refuse to follow the leadership of the person who's been selected to lead. When an individual or a group of people begins to pick apart the leader, second guess his decisions, when they begin to think that they would do a much better job of leading than the current leader, listen, this attitude of pride can be toxic to unity. And we see, listen, we see no evidence of this. No evidence of this among Christ's apostles. Peter leads in chapter 1. We'll discover that Peter preaches the public message in Acts chapter number 2. And everyone seems to be okay with it. Everyone seems to be in agreement that he be the one 
to do this. Listen, everyone in this group was capable of putting their personal pride and agenda aside to follow the leader so that there could be unity. In groups and organizations where that doesn't happen, disunity threatens to destroy the whole thing and keep them from ever achieving what they set out to achieve. So when we think about hindrances to unity, we have to first of all think about pride. And how might that have played out in this early church among these apostles and among the 109 others? But you know, I find another, another hindrance, potential hindrance to unity in verses 21 to 26 of chapter number 1. He said the first one would be pride as a hindrance to unity. But number two, I think, would be disagreement. Disagreement. Peter's first order of business as the leader, as it were, of this particular group was, was to select an individual to take Judas Iscariot's place as an apostle. The qualifications are clear, and I want us to see them. They were that the, that the individual had to have been a follower of Christ throughout his earthly ministry, beginning with the baptism of John until the ascension of Jesus Christ. These are the qualifications that are being laid out. We're going we're to elect a new apostle. This is Peter leading the group. There's 11 of us. There were 12 originally. It only makes sense that we add a 12th one to the group. And so if we're going to do that, then here are the qualifications. Look in verse 21. Wherefore of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us. So that's the first qualification that had to be met. But notice, they also had to be an eyewitness of his resurrection. Look at the end of verse number 22. Must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? And I I just have to tell you, I believe there's a third characteristic that is necessary that we find in the Scripture. Peter says in verse number 21, I don't spend a lot of time here, but he says, wherefore of these men? I think the characteristic that is or qualification that is necessary is that the apostle must be a man of course this is in line with god's created order we've said things about that even earlier today the fact that god chooses god chooses in his created order to to call men to lead men lead in the home men lead in the church Uh, men men lead that's what that's what god's design is it's how god created things so we discover that all of the things that are, that are found here, uh, it comes down to two men. Two men that are identified. Notice the Bible says that in verse number 23, and they appointed two. So only two fit all three qualifications. Their names, notice, are Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. Now I don't, I, I don't want to, you know, again, spend a lot of time here on this particular uh, this particular thought, but I, I want you to consider that there had to have been there had to have been people that thought that Joseph was most qualified for this. And so I, I really, man, I, I got to know him really well, and I, I just got to tell you, there's something about him. He just, boy, he just impresses me. I'm, I'm, I'm voting for Joseph. He, he should be the twelfth apostle. And then there were others sitting here going, you know. You know, I've really gotten to know Matthias. Not that Joseph's a bad guy. I, I wouldn't say that at all. In fact, I, I, I sort of like him too. But I'm just, I'm just of the persuasion that Matthias, Matthias needs to be the, 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 the apostle to take Judas Iscariot's place. Can, can, can you not see how this, would, how this might work itself out in a local church setting? 
You know, where we're going to bring we're going to bring somebody up on this platform who's going to potentially, you know, take a take a role, a leading role among the uh, among the church. And and some of you are sitting out there saying, oh, "I don't know him that way. I think I think this guy ought to be it." And, and uh, we're going to we're going to vote in between the two men. And and, uh, and 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 we can we can certainly understand how how this this could potentially play itself out, leading listen leading to a lack of unity among the local church. Can you not see that? So a vote's going to be cast. And, and, and here really is the question. How would, those, how would those people react whose candidate is not selected? That's going to be the real test. This is, this is really going to test our unity as a group of people, as a body of Christ, as a local church. Now, now I want you to notice that there's a key component that was practiced before the vote was ever cast in verse 24. Would you look at it? And they prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. I suppose that'd be a really good thing for Christian people to do before they come together to cast a vote over something that could potentially could potentially divide a church. Would be to pray. Don't you suppose that might be a good idea? And the Bible doesn't tell us whether it was unanimous or not. I, I, I have a hard time imagining in a group of 120 people, as sanctified as they were, I have a hard time imagining it was unanimous, but maybe it was. But at the very least, don't you suppose that Joseph is kind of sitting back saying, well, man, 120 people voted me down? Not a single person voted for me? Well, this is kind of, this is kind of no good. This is kind of lousy. This doesn't make me feel very good. Uh, this doesn't make me uh, feel like I'm uh, contributing a whole lot. We, we, again, we don't know how close the vote was, but verse 26 tells us that Matthias was selected, and the next verse describes absolute war and fighting within the group. Is that, is that how your Bible reads? No, look at verse 26. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now in our minds we think, oh boy, here we go. Joseph's team, you know, Joseph's, you know, campaign manager who, you know, who, who presented him to be the next apostle. They're going to go crazy. They're going to throw a fit. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that you have this you have this potential hindrance to unity that, I mean, you, you have to, I have to believe, I have to believe the devil was lying in wait, don't you? Do you think he was sitting there, waiting? Oh, this is going to be good. Oh, man, how's Joseph going to react when he doesn't, how's his wife going to react when he doesn't get voted in? Oh, man, how's his children going to react? What are his grandchildren going to say? Oh, I can't wait to pounce upon this. But we, find, we find no evidence of that. Why? Because... This group of people were unified. We must acknowledge that within, listen, within the local church, there are many potential hindrances to unity, like pride, disagreement, and no doubt if you spend a little bit of time tonight, we don't have time, but we could, we could come up with a hundred others. Has the church ever done something you disagreed with? <laughs> Has someone in the church ever said something to you or done something that you disagree with? Of course. I think, I think this person I can, just hear, I, I can just hear, I think this person should have been selected to be, the de, to be a deacon. I, I think this guy should have, been por, should have been selected to portray Jesus in the play. I mean, look at the beard he's got. He, they, they chose this guy. He's even, he's even, is he even going to be able to grow a beard? Who knows? Who's making these decisions anyways? 
I, I, think that, I think the walls should be, should be painted this color. I, I think this person should have gotten the job that was available. Uh, do, does, 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 listen, does, does any of this really matter? I mean, think about it. Is any of this really all that important or significant? Who, who's going who, who's to get the next job? Who's going to get the next position? Does, does, it, really, does it really matter? Here, here's why it matters. It matters because unity is the will of God. And unity is essential to the Holy Spirit filling us, which is essential to us fulfilling our purpose. Here's the point. No unity equals no Holy Spirit, which equals no progress. Notice, we talked about hindrances for unity, but notice essentials for unity. Verse number one. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I believe, I believe if we're gonna be unified, we must, number one, be together in spirit. We must be together in spirit. One accord speaks of unanimous, of being unanimous and being peaceable. Again, I just keep going back to the fact that they had just voted on a matter, and no doubt some within the group might not have voted for the eventual outcome, and yet, and yet this group remained together. I liken it, it's not always this way, but I liken it to, to, to primary season in these political parties. I don't know if you remember if you remember over the last you know, couple of political cycles in which you know, you've got one party that has the president who's sitting in office and the other party's trying to unseat that party or whatever. and I mean, when it starts out, there's 12, 13, 14, 15 candidates that have thrown their hat in the ring. I think I should be the representative to be the, 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 the president. And, um, and have you ever seen the debates? We're all on this, we're all in the same party. Like, like, we all are supposed to agree together, represent the same things, you know, and that sort of thing. And have you ever seen how nasty those debates can get? Now, I'm not surprised when a debate gets nasty when you've got a Democrat and a Republican up there because they don't agree on anything, on anything. But when you've got a group of Republicans, 12, 13 of them, and they're all standing on the same platform, I would, I would think that we'd have some nice things to say about one another because we're all on the same team. But you've seen it, haven't you? I mean, it is a bloodbath. I mean, it is war. I mean, it is hatred, and it is vitriol, and it is anger. And then, and then what, what inevitably happens? Over time, over a period of months, one, one by one, they begin to drop off. They begin to drop off. They begin to drop off. And at some point, usually late in the summer of a year in which we're going to elect a new president, at some point, the party has, has agreed, okay, this is going to be our candidate. And now all of a sudden, you've got people who stood on a platform six months ago with, with this guy, and they said, he is a rat. He is a, he's a devil. I hate him. I don't agree with a thing that he, he's the most evil, wicked person. You, he, he gets in the office, it'll be a disaster. And now all of a sudden, they're standing on stage with him. And they're lifting his hand up in the air saying, this is our guy. And I'm sitting here going, what world are we living in? Because I remember six months ago, you couldn't stand him. You hated him. You hated her. Where did this come from? Now, now listen, if we can unify, if we can unify o- over a political party, if we can unify to get our guy, our gal in the White House, church, what's wrong with us? And we're, we're dealing with something way more important with who, than who's going to sit in the Oval Office. We're dealing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we're sitting, we're sitting around and, and, and we're warring with one another and we're casting bombs at other churches and grenades. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying we are. I'm just saying as a whole and maybe even in our past we've been guilty of those sorts of things. And I'm just simply saying, listen, if we're going to, if we're going to be unified and that is an essential for, for, for the Holy Spirit of God to fill us, then, then we're going to have to be together in spirit. Churches today argue about the silliest things. We've referenced some of them. You know, what color the walls are going to be painted and how much the pastor is going to be paid and what hymns are going to be sung and not going to be sung and why, why brother so-and-so wasn't recognized uh, in the last time in which we recognized people. And, 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 I, and I just have to tell you, listen, we must determine that our own personal preferences are not going to lead to a lack of unity among us. Now listen, we are all going to prefer different things. We're talking about preferences here. We're talking about things that are preferred. Things that I prefer don't have to be the way things are. It's just what I prefer. It's what I like. Sometimes, sometimes I'll come home from work and I'll walk in the door and I'll say to my wife, what are we having for dinner tonight? And she'll, she'll tell me, I've, I've made this. And I don't mean to do this, but I, there, I, there's some meals I prefer more than others. And so I'll, I'll sort of be like, oh, okay. And she'll be like, you're, you're not happy, are you? Like, How does she know that? Probably because when she's made something I really like and I walk in the door, I mean, I'm the happiest guy in the world. I throw my arms around her. You're the best wife ever. And now she's telling her we're having this. I'm like, oh, okay. Am I, am I going to survive that night, yes or no? Of course I am. Because that's just what I prefer. It's not what I have to have. And can I just tell you, listen, in, in a local church, there's a lot of things that we might divide over that are just things that we prefer. They don't necessarily, they don't necessarily have to be that way. We, we can't necessarily take the word of God and say, well, it must be this. No, it's just, it's just, it's just preferences. Now, there's a difference. There are a difference between, and I'm, I'm ta- again, I'm talking about things like colors, certain styles, maybe certain events. Some of you, some of you, when we talked about that event on July the 2nd, you thought, I'm not coming that night. Ah, it's going to be too crowded here. And I don't want to park across the street. And I, I go to church at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, bless God. And if they start at 8, I'm not showing up. Well, have at it. That's your preference. That's fine. And we'll, we'll catch you the following Sunday. No problem. We'll see you back in your place on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. I mean, if that's going to be your attitude, that's going to be your attitude. But I can't, I can't take the Bible and say that, 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 you know, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not have a Sunday night service that starts at 8 o'clock p.m. And thou shalt not have a Sunday night service that sits out on the parking lot. And thou shalt not have a service in which they sing a little bit more gospel music than they normally do. And maybe the message is a little bit shorter than it normally is. And, and uh, thou shalt not have fireworks on the church parking lot. I can't, I can't say that. We're, talk, we're talking about preferences here. But you know as well as I do, great churches have, have, I mean, have divided over things that are not biblical. Now listen, there is a difference. There is a difference between preferences and convictions. Convictions are, are, are completely different. Preferences are wishes and likes. You know? Now if I came home, if I came home on a night and I said to my wife, what are we having for dinner tonight? And she said, we're having apple pie. I would say, now listen, I've got to draw a line here. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't. I'd be like, this is the greatest night ever, right? 
But if I'm, if I'm being a mature adult man leading my family, now listen, sweetheart, I love apple pie, but we got to have, you know, we got to have some meat and potatoes before we have the apple pie, right? You know, we, we've got to, you know, we, we got to do things the right way uh, in, in a healthy way. You, you, get the dif- you get the difference, right? Preferences are not the same thing as convictions. Convictions are things, listen, convictions are things that we, that we build and we base upon the word of God. That's different. And that is something, that is something that I suppose we might have to divide over depending on what someone else's convictions might be. How we're gonna, how, how we're gonna, we're gonna interpret the Bible and what we believe the Bible has to say. Now listen, this church was together in spirit. Even though, even though some might have preferred Joseph to be the replacement apostle, and yet that person hadn't been chosen for the role, we're gonna stay together. Why? Because that was just my preference. That was just my wish. I like him, but I, I, I know Matthias is as godly of a man because they would have never presented him. They would have never presented him for that position if he hadn't been with us from the baptism of John until the ascension of Jesus. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have presented him to us for us to be voted on him. If, you get the idea, you get the difference between that and, and some guy who, you know, there's some shady things in his past. I'm not sure that he can be trusted in this role. There's a difference between the two. Preferences and convictions. So we must be together in spirit. But notice, notice there's an idea here of together in place. Notice what it says, chapter 2, verse number 1. And they were all with one accord in one place. Not only were they all of the same mind, but also in one place. Now, I would dare say our church would be 65 years old this August. And probably very, very few Sundays of Cleveland Baptist Church's existence have we all been together in one place. Probably, probably, it's probably very rare, maybe in the early days when we, we had just a handful of people coming. But boy, I tell you, you get into the summer months and church this size, you get into the summer months. And I mean, I, sometimes as a pastor, I'm, I'm going into Sunday morning thinking, is anybody going to be there? Because this person's on vacation, these people went to visit family, and this guy's on a business trip. And you know, you just hear things. We're going to be traveling, we're going to do this, we're going, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And by the way, you've heard me say this before, I think every family ought to try to go away. I think that's so important. I think it's so valuable for us to get away from our normal routine and be alone and, and just to you know, refocus, spend a little bit of extra time with your kids. I'm all for that. But I'm just simply saying very, very few, very few Sundays has the Cleveland Baptist Church in 65 years been together in one place. Now listen, there's a lot of reasons for that. Things like vacations, we've already referenced business. Sometimes people have to work. They don't, you know, they don't always have control over that sort of thing. Maybe it's things like sickness. Maybe the weather might keep some, you know, awful weather, snow, ice, that sort of thing. Maybe, maybe sometimes hurts and offenses. Somebody said something, somebody did something that I, that I, that I was hurt by, and so I'm just, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be there for a little while. I may never go back. Can I tell you that there are legitimate reasons why someone can't be here? But can we pause for a moment and can we just say, are there times that we tolerate missing the gathering of the local church? for things, listen, that are of far less importance than what's going on here. I'm, I'm astounded. I'm astounded sometimes how many people blow off church to go to a ball game. And you say, you say well, we got tickets for that night. Do you, know how many, do you know how many games these teams play? I mean, they're playing all the time. Go another night. Sell the tickets and find a Friday night that you can go. But don't, don't pull your family out of church on a Sunday night or on a, on a Wednesday night so that you can go sit down in the worldly environment and watch a bunch of people kick a ball around. 
be in God's house. Lord, prioritize being together in one place. Well, I think to myself, how many people, how many people miss the gathering of the local church to go to a concert? Now, now listen, I, I, I love music. I love good music. And I, 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 if, if I hear that some guy's going to be singing somewhere, or somebody's going to be singing somewhere, and it's within driving distance, I might even go. But you won't find me there on a Sunday night. You won't find me there on a Wednesday. You say, well, you're the pastor. Well, I was doing that before I was the pastor. I'm just, listen, I'm just simply saying, listen, that we need to prioritize being together in one place. People blown off church, they go to some party or to some, watch some movie or just because they don't feel like it. Listen, what message does this send to our Savior? What message does this send to the Lord? What message does it send to your other church members? Because here's what, now, nowadays, here's what we're doing. We're not just going, but we're posting about it online. So the whole world knows. And last, last, but maybe even, I wouldn't say most importantly, because I think the Lord is the most important thing, but what message does this send to our kids, to our children? Church isn't really all that important. We got, we got tickets to go see the Cavaliers play. Well, go see them play some other night, but don't go when the church is gathering together. Well, make it a priority. I know, what if one of these believers laid out of the gathering of the church on the day of Pentecost to watch the Jerusalem Browns play a game? Now, can you imagine that? Man, what were you doing on Sunday? Oh, man. We were watching this game. It was awesome. What were you doing on Sunday? Man, the Holy Spirit of God showed up. I, I mean, it was, I don't know where it came from, but there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And there were cloven we're not even going to get to the rest of it tonight but there were cloven tongues of fire that sat upon each of us and man we all we all started speaking foreign languages that we had never studied and that we didn't know and then we went out in the streets and we preached the gospel and three thousand people got saved and got baptized and added to the church i'll take that any day over somebody scoring a touchdown again i'm not I, i go to games i'll go to a concert and i'll I'll, 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 have fun, I'll do fun things. But there's certain days in which those, those days are reserved for the church. We're meeting together. I'm not, I'm not going to be anywhere else but in God's house, unless, unless I'm providentially hindered. If I'm sick, or if I'm out of town, that's, that's different. But if I'm in town, and if the church is gathering, then I'm going to be there. No, 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 don't misunderstand me. There are times maybe, you know, maybe, you're, 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 maybe your dad attends some other place. He's going to be honored in a service. I'm not... I'm not here to, to, I'm talking about, you're still going to be in church, right? I'm talking about people blowing off church to do things that are, are not any way, shape, or form church related. May God help us. May God help us to prioritize togetherness in place. You know, you know there's something unique happens. No, despite what the naysayers might say, something unique happens when we're all together meeting in his name. Jesus himself said in Matthew 18 and verse number 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He's here tonight. He's here. A whole lot more than two or three here tonight. He's with us. He's with us. Don't miss, don't miss it. Unity, unity. You, some of you sitting here saying it's been a long time since the Holy Ghost filled me. I, I, I don't feel like I, I've had the Holy Ghost power in a long time. Maybe we should start here. Maybe we, should, maybe we should begin to prioritize unity. Prioritize what is God's will for our lives. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.